Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 therefore laying aside falsehood speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one another for his name's sake prescribe truth we giving you what the doctor ordered jamal bandy apologist the lord's servant we undeserve it but christ changed our mind frame in a world full of errors the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Prescribed Truth. I'm Jamal Bandy, the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. This is episode 74, coming on up to that 100. If you'd like to contact me, you can do so by emailing me at prescribed.truth at gmail.com, or you can call me and leave a voicemail at 801-980-6333. That's 801-980-6333. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by joining with me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prescribed truth. For just a dollar or more a month, you can help support this live stream and this podcast and any other content that we do on Prescribed Truth. You will help support that, and I greatly appreciate it. I would like to give a shout-out to a brand-new patron. Ralph has joined the patron community. Thank you so much, Ralph, for your contribution. I really greatly appreciate it, and you too also can join if you would like to support this work. If not, as always, I appreciate your prayers. On today's show, what I want to get into is dealing with, as the title suggests, what is critical race theory? Now, I know this subject has been talked about over and over again. You can go on YouTube and find so many videos that talks about what is critical race theory. You can look online and Google what is critical race theory and find so much on this subject. And so what I would like to do is read off of some of those things and just have a discussion about it. Let you know what my thoughts are and, and go from there. And we're going to look at a couple websites. Um, one site in particular we're going to look at as far as um, just defining critical race theory and what it is. And it gives us a brief look at intersectionality. And also we're going to get into uh, where critical race theory stems from, which is um, uh, critical legal studies. So we're going to take a look at that as well. If there's more that you think that I should that should be added to this conversation that I may miss tonight, please comment. Let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, in the reviews and whatnot. I greatly appreciate it. So without um, holding us any longer, let's go ahead and look at the first website we're going to take a look at. Now, this website um, comes from Britannica.com, and it's on critical race theory. And it's one of the social sciences, and this is what critical race theory is, one of the social sciences. It's something that is taught in, um, in colleges and everything else. But So just reading off what it says, critical race theory the view that race, instead of being biologically grounded and neutral, is socially constructed and that race as a socially constructed concept functions as a means to maintain the interests of the white population that constructed it. Now, with that being said, already, I kind of agree with that. Like, if we know, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as race. There's ethnicities different ethnic groups, but not race. Like we're all one race. We're all part of the human race, but race in this sense, as we talk about this social construct was, was derived by racial racist people. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I did a uh, podcast episode dealing with how uh, black Hebrew Israelites say they're from the tribe of Sham because in the book that they use, the different, the, um, the dictionary that they use, what the definition of Sham, not Sham, the definition of Ham is that 
it names it names all these different places, but then it says not the Negroes. And so Hebrew Israelites they'll say they'll look at that passage or that definition when it says not the Negroes, and they automatically assume, oh, see, we're not of Ham, therefore we must be a Sham. But they don't understand that that definition was put there by because of racism. It was based off of scientific racism, how people back then would. And I'm saying people, not a lot of people, but a couple of scientists, they would go and they would view skulls and, and everything as from a racial lens. And they would say, well, these smaller skulls must be of black people and Negroes. And these bigger skulls must be of white people because we're smarter. And they would use that as a way they would, as how they would determine where people come from. And so when they look at the Egyptians and everybody who would come from Ham, well, they said, well, the Egyptians cannot possibly be black people because they built all these pyramids and these monuments. They, they were smart in how they did things and how they constructed things, the systems of government and everything else. Pe black people could not have done this. So therefore, black people could not have come from Ham. And that's why you see that in the Zonovan Bible Dictionary that I mean the compact Bible dictionary that Ham was not the Negroes. And that's why, you know, so it, it it's interesting. It is, it is true that when it comes to race, as far as being Negroid or Caucasoid or um, Mongoloid and all that, that comes from right supremacy. That, I mean, that, that comes from a form of that, right? We can be honest with that. You know, that the whole construct, the whole di the dividing of us up in categories comes from that because they believe that those who are Caucasian were at the top and Negroes were at the bottom. So those who are Negroid descent, they were at the bottom. And then you had the Mongoloid, then you had a Caucasoid. There was three classes, three total classes. All right. And so we have to be honest with that. So I get that, right? That that's something we can we can all agree with if we be honest concerning history. Like, yeah, that's true. But it goes on and says, according to critical race theory, racial inequality emerges from the social, economic, and legal differences that white people create between races to maintain elite white interests in labor markets and politics. And as such, create the circumstances that give rise to poverty and criminality in many minority communities. Now, this is where I find issue. So the reason why I disagree with this is that it's so blanketed. We're not we're not told what labor markets are created to make that distinction between elites and non-elites as far as whites and non-whites. What laws, what politics, policies, what, which ones? Because, see, back during before the Civil Rights Movement, we can point out these policies. We can point out these issues after um after slavery had ended or during the time before slavery had ended where um blacks could not read they, they it was against the law for them to learn to read and to write like these were policies and put in place to bring them down to keep them down we can point to those things as definite as to what actually kept them down and even as to the not being able to vote and not you know and all that kind of stuff like that we can point to those things but when you have a statement like that that's so blanketed where in the, and this is an article i know they're not the article, to be honest, is not trying to give us a breakdown of everything. But even when you have conversations with people about critical race theory and about these about these issues, about this theory, as it is a theory, you know, they can't point to what do we have now that is socially that is socially and economically constructed to be against blacks and against basically people of color. What is there? 
You know, I have people point to the fact that they can't get loans like someone else, or we're talking about wages and jobs, and even talking about the uh, the criminals, the criminal system, and everything else. But when you look at those stats, as what they stand, what they stand for, the the stats don't match the narrative. Is what's been put out. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And so we talk about labor markets, and it, okay, what about the labor markets? The fact is. Know who's employed and who's making the most, and they're working the same position, yet one's making more than the other, or what we have going on, or is it that whites only have the opportunities to make these, make this kind of money on this particular level, or blacks are not able to make that kind of money? Like, what are we talking about? You know, what are we getting into it? You know, and, and we have to be able to define these things and be able to point these things out because I'll be one. If there is racism present in how a system is constructed and how something is brought up, or how a job is created and everything else, then I'll be one on the front line and, and fight alongside you and say, you know what? This is wrong. Right. We, we, we would stand together side by side and acknowledge that this is wrong. But the thing is that the, when you actually look for specifics in these areas, there isn't any that we can point to today. We had them back then. We can we can point them out back then. Even I did a podcast dealing with um, early America and how the misconceptions of early America, how there were blacks who owned slaves as well as the whites who owned slaves. So is slavery in itself in America just about racism? No, we can't say that. Was it was it the case with some? Yeah, we can definitely say that, but not as a whole. But then we went into after. Um, uh, after slavery had ended, or uh, no, 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 let's let's go back. After America got its independence, after America got its independence, sometime after that, that you had whites who were slaves too, who now are not slaves because now it was against the law for them to have whites as being slaves. Whites were all free, and then you had only the blacks being slaves, even though there are black people who own black slaves as well. But that's what the case was, and you can see an issue there, right? You can see there's a level of racism here in the South where it's like, okay, we're no longer going to have whites being slaves because we're better. No, therefore, blacks are going to be the slaves. So we saw that. That is that is true. That's evident, right? Then slavery ended. So the laws that was put in place, Jim Crow and everything else, we can point to those things. And then, but what is it today? What is it in the 2000s? What is it in the 1990s and up? What is it? That we can point to to say, you know what, this is still an issue today. Whereas whites are such a have such a way where blacks can't get ahead. Where where do we have that? When we look at the the criminality of minorities. When people commit crimes, it's not all the time. It's it's not even if you look at majority of people who are in jail, it ain't because they just ain't got the opportunities to be able to go out there and get work and work hard, and then therefore they gotta result to crime. No, they want a quick way. They want an easy way. Drugs. They want easy money. And they end up using whatever the case may be. It's what they want. Because working hard is too hard. That's a reality. That's a reality, man. I'm not the richest man. I'm not I'm not rich by no stretch of the imagination. You know what I'm saying? I got bills out the yin yang, but I'm working hard. I don't have to resort to drugs. I don't have to resort to stealing in order to get by in life. Praise God. You know, and we can thank God for that. But that is but so criminality is not because there's some Laws. I mean, some some white people who are making themselves elite, and therefore blacks feel like that's the only thing they can do is go and commit crimes. Even in you talk about disparaged neighborhoods where there it seems like there's it's just poverty stricken everything else. How many success stories do we have of blacks who come out of communities like that and able to make something of themselves? 
even though they may not have had a father and father in the home, even though mama may not have had them the money to make sure they can have the name brand clothes and this and that and the third, or have their first car, you know, and they had to ride the bus all the time. Like how many success, success stories have come out of that? And you say, well, all because it's a few, it doesn't mean anything. No, it does. It means a lot. Because what is the difference between that person and the next person? It ain't that that black person was afforded opportunities that the other person was. They both were afforded the same opportunities. It's what they were done with it. It's what was done with it. So that's why I disagree with that line. You know, I can, we can point to some issues, right? We can point to some stuff, but it's not a whole. We can't, and it will be an error to make it as if, like, this is always the case. And it is such, it is such the case that it's such an issue that hasn't been addressed. Like, it hasn't been addressed already. And then it says, through, um, though the intellectual origins of the movements go back much further, the critical race theory movement officially organized itself in July in 1989. That was a year after I was born. It said, despite the relatively appearance of critical race theory in academia, some scholars have found it a valuable perspective on race and racism in America. Critical race theory launched what many race scholars now take as a common sense view. And, you know, and this is how it's addressed in today. Like, when you're dealing with people and you talk about this subject, like, this should be common sense. This is why me as an African-American speaking against this theory is like, you must be dumb. Like, you must be out your mind. Like, you cannot be thinking straight. You must be influenced by the white man. It has to be that because this right here should be common sense. Like, you should look at history and it should tell you that this is true. This is this is not just a theory. This is truth. And so let me let me now let me go ahead and segue into thinking and let you know that the the idea that critical race theory is just a set of analytical tools is a lie, a lie. Critical race theory does not come with the notion of saying, hey, let's gather the information and then let's see if it holds up. Critical race theory comes in with the notion that this is the conclusion. Like this is the conclusion. This is not a, a, a set of tools to sit and gather information. No, the information has already been gathered and this is the conclusion. Hence it being a theory. They're theorizing what, why things are the way they are. Why economics the way it is. Why is the jail rates the way it is and everything else. It's because of this, because of white supremacy, this privilege. It's a conclusion. All right. So it says critical race theory scholars or CRT scholars hold that the laws and policies in the United States are biased against people of color. And they have focused their scholarship on demonstrating the ways in which the legal institutions support that bias. Once again, just like I was bringing up earlier, how are the bias against people of color, the laws and policies? What laws and what policies that exist in the United States are biased against people of color? In the, in the government, they would argue that their laws go the same for everybody, that the policies fit the bill for everybody. But critical race theory says otherwise. My question then to challenge it is what laws, what policies? And you notice in, the, in today's um, arena of politics, you're dealing with immigration laws and stuff like that and, and dealing with LBGTQ and everything else. You're seeing how they're trying to implement these biases. It is stretching far beyond critical race and going into just critical theory, not just critical race theory, but critical theory as a whole. It just it just feeding into it. 
because now the laws and the laws and policies are affecting these people groups, right? These people who want to have same-sex marriages and stuff like that, and wanting to um, uh, 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 have a you know, the women's uh, the feminism, the feminist rights, you know, even creeping into the church, the SBC, and talking about women pastors and everything else. Something that's we've that's that's clear in the scriptures for over centuries, and not that man came up with, but God Himself come up with, and we're going against that because of critical theory. And so here we have you have your race issues, then you have your uh, um, um, sex, sexual attractions or sexual orientation issues. You have your economic issues versus poor versus the wealth, being the rich and stuff like that. You have all of these different issues. So we're just going into critical theory, but it feeds it. And people, and people don't realize that when you're buying into critical race theory, you are still buying into critical theory. You're buying into all of it. Like you have to bend for all of it. You can't just say oh, I'm critical race, but then leave out the rest of it. Because the same argument is used for critical race is used for critical theory and the rest of them. And so, um, real quick, and then read this paragraph, and then we're gonna um, go into another another uh, website. It says the launch of the critical race theory movement in 1989 marked its separation from critical legal studies. We're gonna look at that in a brief moment. The theory established at a conference in 1977 that rethinks and overturns accepted norms and standards in legal practice and theory. Instead of drawing theories of social organization and individual behavior from con uh, continental European thinkers such as GWF Hegel and Karl Marx or psychoanalytic figures like Sigmund Freud as its theoretical predecessors, as CLS and feminist juris, jurisprudence had done, CRT was inspired by the American civil rights tradition through figures such as Martin Luther King Jr. and W.E.B. Du Bois, and from nationalist thinkers such as Malcolm X, the Black Panthers, and France Fanon. Being steeped in radical black thoughts and nationalist thinking, Critical race theory advanced theoretical understandings of the law, politics, and American society, uh, sorry, American sociology that focus on the efforts of white people, Euro-Americans, to maintain their historical advantages over people of color. And so, I, I, once again, in the podcast I did before, dealing with Martin Luther King, I brought this out. Even in the civil rights movement, it was steeped in dealing with critical race theory. It was based off of critical race theory, which will go into Marxism. Only difference was, is we're talking about Marxism was dealing with economics and Martin Luther King was bringing it into race, but still dealing with economics. You know, uh, Martin Luther King said in one of his letters that he won't rest. He will not feel satisfied until that, until a black man is making the same amount as a white man. He won't rest until that's a, until that's a reality. You know, so I mean, that's what he was looking at. So he looked at it from a, a, a standpoint of Marx, but see, Marx wasn't dealing with race; he was just mostly dealing with the poor and, and the and the rich. And Martin Luther King borrowed from that, but he didn't want to, as he said in his in his letter dealing with or his sermon dealing with communism, he agreed with the outcome of communism, but just not in their method of how to go about it. You know, that's just that was his stance of that. All right, so this this one comes from a website called. Uh, spacers at wordpress.com. This is an article. I'm trying to see do it have a, do it have an author name on it. Uh, I don't see an author's name, but I just figured the, the information here on intersection that was in, was interesting, so I wanted to read off of it. But anyway, I will put these links in the description as well as far as the websites I go to. So in this next website, we're looking at it says what is critical race theory? 
we already read a little bit about what is critical race theory, so we're going to look at intersectionality. All right. So it says intersectionality within critical race theory points to the multi-dimensionality of oppressions and recognizes that race alone cannot account for disempowerment. All right. So where you had critical theory, now keep in mind you had critical legal studies, right? Then you, where you have from there, a branch out is critical race theory. Then another branch out comes intersectionality. And so it's the same thing, right? Now we're dealing with um, the laws, which is critical legal studies that's dealing with the laws. But then you have critical race is dealing with racism. Then you have intersectionality is dealing with more than just racism, you know, dealing with different types of things. All right. So, and then with intersectionality, if you, it's basically like you have multiple, if you are, um, if you are oppressed in multiple areas of, of what you hold to or what you, um, deem yourself to be, then you are more oppressed than the next person. So me being an African American male, well, if there's an African American female, she's more oppressed than I am. Okay. So I'm more oppressed than the white man, but I am less oppressed than the black woman. All right. Then you add into that um, whether someone is homosexual or bisexual or lesbian or queer, whatever case may be. Now they and now they are black woman and lesbian. Now they are more oppressed than the black woman, so on and so forth. So you have all these different intersections. All right. So as it says, it's a multi multi-dimensionality of oppressions. And recognizes that race alone cannot account for disempowerment. So it ain't just because you're black that you may not get the job or you may not make enough money or you may not, you may not have the rights. It's because you could be a woman too. It's because you could be black and a woman. It's because you be black woman and lesbian. You know, and so these are things that are keeping you from having any kind of power. So now what, what is, this is, I, what these ideas are going to set to do or set to try to do is try to make it where at the top, who are now the elite will be those who are lesbian and queer and woman and black. I mean, and or this and disabled. I guess you could put disabled in there too, like all of that. And the who are poor, so now they will be made rich. And it's funny because once the poor are now made rich, they lose that intersection. <laughs> they lose that intersection, but yet they still have the rest of them. So I guess they they still be more. So I guess, but that's the thing. It's like that's what they want to be put up they the one they want to have them be empowered right so and if you buy into critical race theory you have to buy into intersectionality because they use the same argument they're using the same argument and what's true for one is going to be true for the others now as it, go, as it continues to say intersectionality means the examination of race sex class national origin and sexual orientation and how their combination plays out in various settings. This is an important tenet in pointing out that critical race theory is critical of the many oppressions facing people of color and does not allow for one dimensional approach of the complexities of our world. So, and like, look at this, look at this y'all. What oppressions, what oppressions are the, when you talk about legal, keep in mind critical race theory and, and critical legal studies and all this is dealing with laws and policies. 
It's not just talking about how people treat another. Like, you know, how you may have one person who just hates gays and they just go out there and just spewing all kind of hate rhetoric and everything else. This is not dealing with that. You're not talking about the one who's just racist and they just hate blacks and browns and they just go out there spewing racist rhetoric. The same thing with blacks going out and spewing racist rhetoric against whites. This is, this is not what critical race theory is dealing with or intersectionality is dealing with. Well, keep in mind, it's talking about empowerment. Being able to hold positions and power and wealth and everything else. This is what this is dealing with. All right. So my question then is what oppressions, what legal policies are there that are against the LGBTQ that they find is oppressing them? Now, automatically with the LGBTQ, we know one of them is dealing with uh, marriage equality. They want to be able to marry who they want to marry. Right. So that means we're having to disengage or uh, just redefine what marriage is in order to fit what they they deem they are being oppressed by because they don't get they don't have that right in certain places and so that's an oppression they would consider that an oppression all right not that something is not created just to keep them at bay keep in mind when you had where the blacks weren't able to weren't allowed to read and weren't able to write these were laws put in place to keep them down Put in place to keep them dumb, keep them where they could not understand things, keep them from reading the Bible, to, to teach them their freedom and their liberation in Christ. They were these things were put in place. The fact that blacks couldn't vote that was put in place so they wouldn't have would not have representation like that. Those things were put in place. But see, we think about marriage. That was something that was already in place before they even came about. God created marriage with Adam and Eve from the beginning. Before any, before there was any same sex attraction that was ever mentioned, that was ever happened. Already, God already established what marriage was supposed to be, and so this is something that this this is something that isn't oppressing them. This is something that is actually just true, true of the one who created us. And you get into what the other what they call other oppressions. Now we named some stuff that was then before them today. What laws and policies are put in place to keep? blacks down to keep um hispanics down to keep lgbt down and everything else what laws are there treat them less than human we have to point those things out and we talk about um before talk about um in the in the prison system justice systems what is what is put in place to say that only the blacks are being caught for these things and they are given more sentences than the whites who commit the same crimes who do the same things the stats don't add up to that theory. That's why critical race is only a theory. It's a theory. It's not an analy analytical tool. It's a theory. And the only reason why it can still be called a theory is because it's not proven. It's not proven. But they want to continue to keep pushing the narrative until they can make people believe that it has been proven. And it hasn't. That's why it's still a theory. All right, so real quick, I, talk, I talked a little bit about it a couple of times. So I'm going to look at two. Uh, critical legal studies and this is where critical race theory stems from so i thought it was important to mention it um towards the end but before we do that we're going to play a couple commercials and we'll come back and we're going to look at critical legal studies so we'll be right back can you prove that god is a trinity can you prove that jesus is god can you defend the christian faith and what is it that christians truly believe the new book by andrew rapaport what do we believe will answer those questions and more some people just don't understand what the church is today but this book will go through the history and meaning of the church and what's more important than to understand man's sinfulness and god's salvation get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com or at the strivingforeternity.org store 
What's up, everyone? This is James Watkins, host of the Five Solas Podcast and founder of Five Solas Ministries. Be sure to check out our podcast that releases every Thursday on your favorite podcasting app as we discuss Christian doctrine and dive into the Reformed theological distinctives and their continued relevance for the church and world today. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Join us each episode as we discuss the truths of these foundational rallying cries of the Protestant Reformers and how this material helps challenge and direct the current church in its life of worship and witness. Visit us online at www.5solasministries.com. That's www.5solasministries.com to learn more information about the ministry and to also check out our awesome Five Solas lineup of t-shirts and gospel tracts. And as always, may all that you do be done to the glory of God. Soli, Deo, Gloria. All right, welcome back. Uh, Right now, we're going to look at critical legal studies. Uh, as we talked about before, we dealt with critical race theory and what it means and dealt with intersectionality and what it means and, and, and how it's playing in our, in our culture today. And I gave some of my thoughts on it. But um, I want to look at critical legal studies. And the reason why is because this is where critical race theory branches off from and intersectionality branches off from critical race theory and so on and so forth. It's just like a domino effect. And so we're going to look at critical legal studies. All right. So the website we're looking at now is cyber.harvard.edu and it's dealing with um, critical legal studies movement and I will put the links in the description um, in the um, in the episode notes and in the description so it starts off and it says the critical legal studies movement is a self-conscious group of legal scholars founded I'm sorry it says a self-conscious group of legal scholars founded the conference on critical legal studies in 1977 most of them had been law students in the 1960s and early 1970s and had been involved with the civil rights movement, Vietnam protests, and the political and cultural challenges to authority that characterized the period. I mean, characterized that period. These events seem to contradict the assumption that American law was fundamentally just and the product of historical progress. Instead, law seemed a game heavily loaded to favor the wealthy and powerful. But these events also suggested that grassroots activists and lawyers could produce social change. So you see here that this whole thing is dealing with laws, right? It started with dealing with laws, that the American laws, it did not come from the idea that everything is just. Like they, they, come, they have to have a bias. There's a bias in the legal system. There's a bias when it comes to policies that are being made. All right. To to benefit the wealthy and not the poor. All right. So this is where it starts off in critical race theory. You, and you can just see when you just add elements and how critical race theory comes out, because you add the element of race. Then you add elements, elements of being a woman versus a man. So you're dealing with gender. Then you have sexual orientation. So you add these elements to the idea of critical legal studies. All right. So it, it just how you just see how it just branches off. And that these activists can make change. They can they can make social change. All right. So it says fundamentally, uh, it says fundamentally convinced that law and politics could not be separated. The founders of CLS found a yawning absence at the level of theory. How could law be so tilted to favor the powerful? Given the prevailing explanations of law as either democratically chosen or the result of impartial 
judicial reasoning from neutral principles. Yet, how could law be a tool for social change in the face of Marxist explanations of law as mere epiphenomenal outgrowths of the interests of the powerful? Wow. Hosting annual conferences and workshops between 1977 and 1992, CLS scholars and those they have influenced try to explain both why legal principles and doctrines do not yield determinate answers to specific disputes and how legal decisions reflect cultural and political values that shift over time. They focused from the start on the ways that laws, con- I mean, that the law contributed to illegitimate, uh, illegitimate social hierarchies, producing domination of women by men, non-whites by whites, and the poor by the wealthy. They claim they apparently, I mean, sorry, they claim that apparently neutral language and institutions operated through law mask relationships of power and control. The emphasis on individualism within the law similarly hides patterns of power relationships while making it more difficult to summon up a sense of community and human interconnection. Joining in their assault on these dimensions of law, CLS scholars have differed considerably in their particular methods and views. Wow. So it, we, this stuff that we've already been saying concerning critical race theory and intersectionality. So it's just be, basically just, you're just seeing a framework of that, the building block of all of this. And it says many who identify with the critical legal studies movement resist or reject efforts to systematize their own work. So they, so they don't look at it. Not it says many, not all, but many of them don't look at it to see systems change. Right now, we know a lot of people who are especially dealing with some about dealing in the church and everything. We're looking We're hearing about people who are looking to make this a, a systematic change. But there are many who are from the critical legal studies movement who weren't trying to make it a systematized thing. They seek to will continue to read. They seek to express claims of textual ambiguity and historical contingency in their own methods. Influenced by postmodernist developments and cultural studies, these critical scholars prefer episodic interventions to systematize theories. All right, so they, they're looking for smaller change, like little small implements of change. Some critical scholars press hard on a particular line of argument and then shift away from it in order to avoid treating the argument itself as a kind of fetish or uh, fatal, a talisman, type of fetish, kind of fetish or talisman. Some critical scholars adapt ideas drawn from Marxist and socialist theories to demonstrate how economic power relationships influence legal practices and consciousness. All right. So now you see how Marxism plays in this. All right. So you can say all day that you hold to critical theory, yet you're not a Marxist. But Marxism, that Marxist idea plays into all of this. They draw from it. All right. It just went into it just went into a different area where Marxism was dealing with economics. This is went into legal practices and then from legal practices into politics to politics, dealing from race and then with everything else. It just it, it just it just grows. You know, it's like a like a fungus. Just spreading to different areas. I right, says so for others, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory and its attention to the construction of cultural and psycho and psychosocial meanings are central to explaining how law uses mechanisms of denial and legitimation. Still, others find resonance with postmodernist sensibilities and deconstruction, notably illustrated in the literacy 
and archaeological works. Some scholars emphasize the importance of narrative and stories in devising critical alternatives to prevailing legal practices. Many critical um, legal scholars draw upon intellectual currents in literature, pop culture, social theory, history, and other fields to challenge the idea of the individual as a stable, coherent, self-capable of universal reason and guided by general laws of nature. In contrast, argue critical scholars in contrast argue critical scholars individuals are constituted by complex and completing sources of ideology social practices and power relationships despite their variety cls scholars commonly one seek to demonstrate the intimacy of legal doctrine and show how many given set of legal principles can be used to yield competing or contradictory results Two, undertake historical, socionomical, and psychological analysis to identify how particular groups and institutions benefit from legal decision despite the intimacy of legal doctrines. Three, expose how legal analysis and legal culture mystify outsiders and work to make legal results seem legitimate. And four, uh, elucidate new or previously disfavored social versions, uh, social visions and argue for their realization in legal and political practices in part by making them part of legal strategies. All right, so it, get, it then goes on, this website goes on to break, out, break down indeterminacy and so on and so forth. So, um, once again, I will put the links to these, to these uh, websites in the, in the show notes and everything. Please take a look at them and read them if you want to understand more as far as what the argument is concerning critical race theory and, and where it comes from dealing with critical legal studies and so on and so forth. It just, when you look at this, it's, man, it just takes, it takes away from the sovereignty of God. It cannot be that these disparities exist because God is sovereign and that some people may have been lazy. Some, it doesn't, it doesn't take it into account all these other factors that could be included, but it makes his main focus dealing with race or poor versus wealthy and everything else. And we even see in the scriptures where you could tell there are people who, uh, may have treated people differently because they were poor versus the wealthy and everything else. You can see all of that, even in the scriptures. But what is the reason behind it? What is the ultimate reason? It is sin. That's the reason. That's the reason why you have people who feel differently about others, no matter what going on. It's because of sin, right? Now, when it comes to LGBTQ, it's not because of sin that people are saying, hey, you shouldn't get, you know, married, y'all shouldn't be married, and what you should be, what you're doing is not right. That's not because we're hating you. It's because it's against God. The act itself is against God. But having money isn't against God. The love of money is the root of all evil, but having it in itself isn't something that's against God. Even being poor isn't something that's against God. Neither does it say that you are less in the, in the mind of God because you don't have as much as the next person, right? But it's taking away all of these factors that we know are true because God has revealed them through his word and it's putting it all on race. Now, is racism an issue? Yes, it is definitely an issue. I don't agree that it's as big of an issue as people are making it out to be. Not today. Back then, yes, of course, but not today. A black man now, if he works hard and does what he's supposed to do, he can and studies hard and everything else, he can go on to make a make a good success. And there, same thing with the Latino and everyone else. They can do that, right? If they put in the effort, they can do that. So the opportunities are there. The opportunities are there. 
All right. Now you talk as far as people making enough and making the same amount as the next person, and all that you have to take in the different factors that you need to be aware of. You have to allow for those distinctions to be brought to the surface. And so we can draw some accurate information from them, but making blanketed statements are not helping. Generalized points of views are not helping, not helping the conversation go any further. We have to deal with things honestly. All right. So that's, that's my um, conclusion with all of that. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope that you found this meaningful. Um, please go back and look at this uh, information and, and read over it. <laughs> study and study alongside uh, alongside the scriptures. I'm not saying you put the scriptures lower. I'm saying like look what God says concerning disparities. Look at what how God handles disparities. How He calls for Christians to handle disparities and these issues and stuff like that. You know how does God deal with them? Is it, is it a sin that, that, that these disparities exist? Is it a result of evilness and wickedness? Is it a result of whiteness that disparities exist? And if you look from the scriptures, the answer is no. The answer is no. So, uh, like I said, I just hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, please join me next time, next Sunday, live on YouTube at 6 p.m. Eastern time for the live streaming of the podcast. And you can also find us on various podcast apps, including iTunes, Stitch Radio, and Google Play. So I look for you there. So thank you for joining me for this episode of Prescribed Truth Podcast. I look forward to talking to you next time. And also remember... In a world full of errors, the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings.